Good morning, Mosaic. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Daniel 2, verses 1 through 6, 12 through 16, and 31 through 45. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him at a time him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, and its chest of arms of silver, and its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silvers, and the gold altogether were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing, threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all of the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, but because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. Oh, excuse me, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firm firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with, with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set, will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all, pieces all the kingdoms and bring, them, and bring to them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from, from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain in its interpretation, sure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all have dreams. 
whether you remember them or not, dreams can be pleasant, they can be happy, they can be frightening, they can be frustrating, they can be calming, they can be boring, they can be bizarre, or they can be downright awkward. Each night, you and I uh, have anywhere from between one dream to up to five or six, depending on how long you sleep and how much REM or rapid eye movement that cycles that you go through. But you may only remember the most vivid dreams, or you may not remember any dreams at all. Um, and this is, there's a reason for that. And there's a lot of science behind that. We're not going to get into that. But I want to ask, what do these little mini movies mean? I mean, there's two trains of thoughts that some, some would say that your, your dreams are just completely random, just completely detached from meaning, which makes sense for some of those dreams that we have. Um, but there are others that, that believe that every dream is tied to something deeper, like that it means something. You know, I had a dream a few nights ago that, I, that a tree fell on me and I was stuck under the canopy of its branches. And I remember waking up scared, like, like I just like felt claustrophobic. I was like, ah, I feel trapped. Like I just, I was just thinking about now, like it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like <laughs> makes me want to push everything away. Like, Ugh. but d- does that mean that with this tree falling on me, does, what does that mean? Does, that, does it feel that I, tr- I feel trapped? Does it mean that I feel, I feel oppressed in certain relationships? Like maybe, like, this is, this is the understandable with some of the more common dreams that we have out there, that things like, you know, like showing up late um, for something important, so you're, you're worried. You know, and you, I still have night sweats that I didn't turn in my paper or that I didn't study, but study for what? I haven't been in school in a long time. And so, or maybe you have dreams about, you know, someone chasing you, maybe, maybe by, by zombies. Um, maybe you have dreams of flying or, or dreams of being lost or being paralyzed or unable to speak, you know, maybe dreams of being naked. I think we, in front of, and in front of a crowd, and there's embarrassing dreams. We all have those, right? Okay. Do, do each of those dreams mean something? I mean, like, what if I dreamed of a rooster pecking my eyes out? Does that dream have a deeper meaning or just that I have a general fear of roosters? What if I had a dream of a giant statue of myself that was just so big, like the Statue of Liberty big, that was made of, of a, had a gold head and had chest and arms of silver and its middle was of bronze and its leg was iron? Is there meaning to that? And what if this, this tiny little rock was flung through its feet and then the rock grew up to be a mountain? Well, what do we do with that? Well, that's exactly where we find the, the king of the greatest nation in the world where he finds himself. King Nebuchadnezzar is about to experience Fears, fails, and falls. And that's how we're going to break down song two of Daniel Mixtape today. Fears, fails, and falls in Daniel 2. Now fears, this passage is just drenched in fear. King Nebuchadnezzar has this nightmare and it is so shocked that, that it wakes him up and he demands his dreamologers interpret it for him. You know, these dreamologers, they worked like these legal researchers and they, they, they'd say, this dream sounds like that great bizarre dream the king had last year. And what happened after that was he got sick. And so let's make sure we wash our hands, people. Okay, no more dreams like this. Don't do that. But, but more than just interpreting the dream, the king demands not only that they tell him what the dream meant, but also what the dream was. In verse 5 it says, If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation. It, it's almost as if one of my kids wakes up in the middle of the night and, and, and is, is just screaming. And I run into the room and I say, What, what happened? How can, how, can, how can I help? Was there a nightmare? And they say, they say Yes, but no, you, you tell me why I'm upset. Um... No, tell me what happened, and I'll try to help. No, no, no. You tell me what my nightmare was, and then, I'll, and, and then tell me what it means, and then, then you can help me. Well, that seems ludicrous, <laughs> but that's exactly what the king does. And then the king adds, and if you don't tell me, 
You shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid to ruins. Well, Jesus, like, that escalated quickly, like, like brick through a trident. Like, wait a second. You just need some warm milk and a blanket, King Neb. I mean, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but how do you tell that to the king who has the power to just snap his fingers and his secret police comes and kills you dead? Well, what we see is, is fear makes you really insecure and hostile. You ever notice that? That fear makes us insecure. Nebuchadnezzar had everything a person could dream of, of possessing. He had power, he had fame, he had influence. But, but not only that, like he was in the process of creating an empire that would memorialize him to be known as one of the ancient wonders of the world. Like, like he had it all. Why then should a mere dream fill him with such anxiety? Because he lived exclusively for this world. And therefore, the waves of circumstance always brought something new into his life. And when you only live for the here and now, any change to the good thing that you have got going feels like a monsoon. The tsunami of circumstance always feels larger than life. And so what does this dream mean? You know, and so you, you, the fear makes you so insecure. I'm afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of the what if. And that what if is, is suffocating. And because I feel suffocated... I'm more hostile than ever, and I threaten to kill anyone who can interpret, can't interpret my dreams for me. And all of the king's wise men can't do this, this miraculous thing. And so he issues a decree that all wise men were to be killed. He's thinking, what, what's the point of you? You're like, you have one job. Do what you do. See my dreams, interpret them. And so the, the captain of Neb's own personal police force, Arioch, goes and tells Daniel this decree. And Daniel, as one of his wise men, means that he, he's going to be murdered, presumably by this man, Arioch. And the fact that he goes and tells him makes you believe that Daniel has already risen within the ranks. And even the king's personal guard has taken a liking to him. So Daniel has already graduated summa cum laude from BU, you know, Babylonian University. You, you see what I did there? And so he, he tells Daniel, and I love this line when Daniel hears the edict in verse 15. Daniel says, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Like, whoa, hold up. This seems like a big extreme. Like, we're, we're killing guys because you had a sleepless night? Like, that's what we're doing now? I love that, that response there. But this is what fear does. Fear makes you say and do irrational things. Like, when you're afraid and you say things that, you know, with more bite, you're quick to judge. You justify your actions, but many times those actions are just over the top. They're disproportionate to the situation, and fear produces these irrational responses to seemingly innocuous circumstances. And so what are you fearful of? Is your fear rooted in reality? Is it making you insecure? Is it making you hostile? Why is that? Well, well, fears lead to fails. Fear at its root is, is, is a lack of control. Like we fear, we worry because our plans are in danger of not working out the way we plan. And so in one sense, all fear is ultimately a fear of failure, that I will fail, that I will stumble, I will get caught, I will not succeed, my dreams won't come to fruition. And, and the bigger the dream, the bigger the drive to keep you going, the bigger the fear inside of you. There's a German philosopher named, named Friedrich Nietzsche, and it, he says this, if there is a God, how can I bear to not be that God? Nebuchadnezzar's conflict was the conflict of everyone 
I must be that God. I must be in control of my circumstances. I must be able to prepare and plan everything out. But the world doesn't work that way. And Neb was ill-prepared to allow God to show himself to be God and Lord of all history. And so are we. Neb was the leader of the superpower Babylon. He has everything. His dream of his statue is interpreted that he's the head of gold. That, that he's the best. He's the top. He's the finest metal. And so you think he would be happy and, and feel like, you know, I've, I've succeeded in life. I'm the best. But he's far from that. He's so anxious about failing. But he, he's, just, uh, he's just showing that he's just a little scared boy. And we see that this is true all the time. Like those who have plenty are still anxious because we want to guarantee that we will always have plenty. And those who, who lack what others have are anxious until we have that too. And so it's, it's the ultimate grass is greener syndrome, but the grass never gets greener. So as long as we think of, of life on that horizontal plane of something over there, that, then nothing can ever be done to be delivered this deep-seated insecurity, this profound sense of angst that, that just haunts our lives. And Nebuchadnezzar has, has this night terror that deep down he knows what it means. And it's haunting. His kingdom is going to fail. And Daniel comes in and tells him in verse 31, You saw, O king, and behold a great image. And then he describes this enormous statue with, with a rock that is hurled at its feet. But then he interprets it to the king, and it's, it's exactly what the king fears in verse 38. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom in fear to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which, who shall rule over all the earth. And then there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. So Neb's kingdom is going to fail. His kingdom will come crumbling down. These other kingdoms that, 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 that are mentioned here, that they're, they're thought to be the Medo-Persian kingdom, the, the Greece kingdom, and then Rome. But far too many people, I believe, spend far too much time on the prediction of these other kingdoms when they really just take a back seat to this whole story here. Daniel just confirmed Neb's worst fear. He is going to fail. Now, most of us don't come with the same size dream as Nebuchadnezzar do that will be this giant statue of liberty. <laughs> but still, we all come with a dazzling image of ourselves that you may not dream of to be a statue of liberty of yourself, but you still have dreams. Whether it's to build your brand, to build your profile, to retire by 40. Like we want to, we want to dazzle like gold. Or, or maybe it's the hard work and ambition you know, that you put into your job. To, to be recognized, to be seen, to rise in the ranks, to, to just build something, to show off something, or to dazzle with your status or your looks. And these aren't inherently bad things, as, as you can see. These are not bad things. But if they are what defines us, if our dreams of making it is the measure of our life, then we're building our life on something that's ultimately going to crumble. And so someday, your kingdom will come crumbling down. The fall of your kingdom or your many kingdoms is imminent. And track two of this mixtape is saying that it is incredibly good news that that's true. It's in our fall from power that we finally break free from our addiction to the drug of control. That we can then happily see the one who is actually in control. 
Like the fall of our own kingdom is the beginning of another's kingdom. It's that acknowledgement of it. It was true anyways. I mean, look at at how bold Daniel is in speaking truth to power. Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. I mean, because Daniel isn't building his kingdom here on earth, he is free to speak truth without fear. I mean, fear would have curbed any bout of courage that Daniel might have had, but, but that's the fear of failing here in this world. That's fear of others' opinions, fear of what others could do to you. But Daniel seems to not care what happens to him. He tells the king, you've asked a ridiculous request. No human can do what you've asked. But there is a God in heaven who can. And not only does he know the dream, he tells the king what the dream means, and it means your downfall. A, a, a little tiny rock, not made by human hands, a pebble, like, like one that you just skip across the water, will break through the statue's feet, and all the kingdoms will come crumbling down. And that rock will grow up to be a mountain. Or its interpretation is that in verse 44, this rock will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Can you imagine saying that to someone with that lust for power in their kingdom? I mean, your kingdom is going down. This is the spirit of Jesus before the high priests and Pilate. I mean, this is the spirit of Elijah before Jezebel. It's the spirit of John the Baptist before Herod. Daniel is full of spirit of truth as he's speaking truth to power. Daniel can say these things because he says, as he says in verse 20, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up new kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel is free from fear because he knows there is a greater kingdom with more power and more control. Yet Daniel oddly says in verse 37, You, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and glory. Which may sound odd to you that saying that about Nebuchadnezzar. These, these phrases may sound like they should only be given to God. But Daniel says very clearly that this is the God of heaven who has given you this kingdom. And that God can and will take it away. With something as unremarkable as a rock. <laughs> it's the least valuable substance listed. And so it's just, this is the upside down nature of the kingdom. The other kingdoms came by power and cunning and ambition. And this kingdom comes lowly, not by force or might. It comes by sacrifice. The stone, of course, represents Christ. He is the stone that crushes the other kingdoms of this world because he is the one whose hands the Father has committed all glory and all honor. He is the stone that the builders rejected which became the chief cornerstone. And so in the eyes of the world, he was poor. Jesus was weak. Jesus was nothing to be worried about. 
and the kingdom of God is growing in a gradual way here. When Jesus Christ first came, he came in weakness. And he didn't wipe away all evil at the moment. He came laying down his life that he might secure your life. This is his kingdom. It advances through giving up our rights and not demanding them. The kingdom of God marches forward, not as we acquire wealth and power and control, but as we give it away. For Jesus died that we might be set free. And it's only when we give up our, our, our white-knuckled grip on the kingdoms of this world, on our fame, on our plans, that we begin to see his kingdom. But how do you know this? How do you... How do, you, how do you make this happen? How do you not become like King Nebuchadnezzar? Always insecure, always hostile, always looking over your shoulder. Like, do we just do nothing? Do we just live for the afterlife since this world is, is going to come falling down anyways? No, God uses you in the here and now. Through this process, Nebuchadnezzar seems to be awed by God. He's not converted, sadly. And so he wants to see, see more of this. And in verse 48, the king then gives Daniel high honors, many great gifts, and he makes him a ruler over the whole province of Babylon and a chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And then Daniel asked to bring along his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so God works through Daniel in public office, through the political realm. He doesn't take him out of this world. He doesn't remove our ambitions and goals and cares. He works through them. But how do we balance caring for this world without trying to rule it, without trying to control it? And I think the, the main difference is your foundation. It's asking yourself, why am I doing it? Whose kingdom am I building? Is it thy kingdom come or my kingdom come? Thy will be done or my will be done. Are you doing it for your glory or God's glory? Even as Christian in ministry, are you doing ministry for my kingdom or God's? Like what everyone will say about you, man, they really get it. Or for God's. Look at the foundations and ask the basic question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Many good works start out for thy kingdom and end in my kingdom. Is it about loving people or loving myself? Whose kingdom am I trying to usher in? My kingdom come or thy kingdom come? In times when we say we may feel like the head of gold. When the world showers its honors and favor upon us. We need to remember that there will be an after this. That there will come a day when our little triumphs and glories will lie in dust. And we will stand before the great creator to give an account. And when that day comes, what will count will not be our standing in the statue, but our standing on the rock. Where do we stand in that kingdom? On that day when he comes back, he won't come as the same way he came. It won't be through suffering and weakness, but in glory and might. Because he's coming, he is the true king. And it won't be as a baby, but as a conqueror who has won the battle. He's won the war. And the gospel tells us this is good news. It is good news that we have a firm foundation to stand on in that kingdom. And if you put your faith in him and what he has done for you, if you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, then you have a sure foundation. You have a cornerstone, one that we can build our lives on and put our hope and faith in him. 
And so if we, if we let our kingdoms fall, then we can build on the kingdom that will never fall. We stand on that rock that will grow into a mountain and it shall never be destroyed. Where is this for you? Where do you need to let your kingdom fall? I mean, it's usually isolated with, with your fears and your worries and your cares. Like, and so what do you need to offer up and give over to God? Is it your future in the next couple of years that you're scared about what happens after graduation? He changes times and seasons. Is it this election? He removes kings and sets up kings. Is it your career? He's already covered you in gold. You've already received more in his life and death for you than any achievement this world could promise. And so may our fears of failure fall at the feet of Jesus. And may we honestly pray, not my kingdom come, but thy kingdom come. And so let's pray.